Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today, look who's back on the show, making his second appearance back by popular demand. It is none other than my old buddy, the Pink Chief, Mr. Christopher Long. You're back, dude. Hey, where where's all the fake applause? <laughs> you, you didn't hear it? I get like... Then you get into like any morning zoo crew fake applause. <laughs> morning zoo crew. No, there was some applause on this end. I'll actually there put was? some. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's always applause for you. Oh, good, good. Yeah, for you sure. You know that. So listen, so so originally we uh, planned to have you back to finish off your original list that we had started uh, in an earlier episode that you were on. You had four songs left. So we can do that if you like. We can talk about hair metal if you like. What do you want to do? I want to talk about something that's going to take you for a little bit of a surprise, Brent Jensen. We're going to go in a completely surprise left-hand turn. Really? Um yeah, well, you know, I, I only read two books okay. anymore. Uh-huh. That's the Bible uh-huh. and anything written by Brent Jensen. <laughs> okay. And uh, simply put, I am a fan. Thank you, uh, sir. So, uh, you know, and, and each one of your books really spoke to me on a different level. But your first one, uh, No Sleep Till Sudbury, really... Can, that was the the first book you wrote, the first book of yours that I read. That's how we connected, and it you know it really took me back to that uh, memorable time as a young person in the '80s and heavy metal and you know the youth gone wild and all that stuff and everybody was young and beautiful and we all looked like Lita Ford and everybody's getting laid and it was just great times, right? Right. So that's that's where your book took me you know and you're a a record store geek like me you know so i could read that book and feel like you and i were hanging out together you know and like we were old pals and uh even though we have since enjoyed those experiences going to record stores together you and i even did a book tour together there was one topic that we have never discussed before and what is that and i want to touch on that today well yeah I'm of that age. I missed that first British wave of metal, okay. uh, the, the European wave, the, the Deep Purples, the Black Sabbaths, and, and so on. I mean, I, I got them all later on, of course, but I was you know, nine, ten years old or so when those bands first came on board. However, I was about 16, 17 or so when that second wave came along right? right and that brought us uh, european bands that brought us uh, scorpions that brought us judas priest and mm-hmm. and so Maybe. on and i remember i remember being 17 and a buddy of mine coming into the record store i worked and he said you gotta check out this band now they're an old-timey band now okay. um but at the time uh, it was pretty heavy duty stuff. He goes, You got to check out this band called Iron Maiden. Uh, <laughs> he says, They're just like Kiss, but without the makeup. Now, that really wasn't true, but he knew in 1980 the way to sell me on any new band is to make the Kiss comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was intrigued immediately. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, so uh, here I am, uh, 80, 81, and uh, getting into uh, the, the first album, getting into Killers. I think the first first record of theirs that I bought, I got uh, Made in Japan. Yeah, the EP, in, right? In 81. What's that? It was an EP. Yeah, yeah. They had done the first two albums, and then uh, they had followed up. For some reason, they had this odd live EP. Yeah. So that was the first record of theirs that I actually got. So it's uh, 1981. It's very, very early. You still got uh, what, what most people would consider the original lineup. Um, but they just, for some reason, they just didn't stay on my radar. Uh, they, they were very heavy, very dark. Uh, they really did a beautiful job of mixing that that punk edge with the, the metal sensibility. Mm-hmm. And they just did it beautifully, perfectly. Paul Diano was, the, may still be the man. Well, that's a major point of contention if we want to go down that road. But he, uh, I think that he was the kind of key element in, in Iron Maiden having that punk edge at that time, right? I I think so. Now, you're the expert here. I'm still reasonably, you know, a, a, a novice here. But uh, the, to, to my way of thinking, that early, those first two albums in that EP, that was dark, that was metal, that was punk. That was Paul Diano. Right. Now, what happened was shortly after that, once they got uh, Dickinson in and they they went commercial bubblegum, uh, all the uh, what the hair band, what <laughs> did it go commercial bubblegum? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that's bad. <laughs> I like poison, you know. So oh, I'm certainly, <laughs> I'm certainly not going to put down Maiden for going commercial bubblegum in in '82. But the point <laughs> is, you know, I was on board with them early on. Right. right. And then when the hair bands came around, I really gravitated towards them. And uh, Iron Maiden sort of fell off my radar, mm. you know. And uh, then originally Maiden was like the, the punk guys were into it. Yeah. Then once we got into the Dickinson era, it was the snobs. It was the musos. Okay. And although I originally got into Maiden because somebody said, hey, they're just like Kiss. Once Dickinson came on board, all the snobs would be going, you don't appreciate them because they're great musicians. They're not like, they're not like Kiss. Adrian Smith can play circles around Paul Stan, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So that, you know, and then also the 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 perception in my mind in, in that time of, you know, in my local rock world, there were two guys there were those of us who got laid and then there are the iron maiden fans <laughs> and uh, so I, they just kind of fell off the radar for me um i bought i, I bought number of the beast right okay that's some snappy songs i even went and saw them on the peace of mind tour awesome but only because a new band called quiet riot was opening for them Oof, really so, so, well Come on, man. It was 1983. Work with me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm behind so, you. So that's that's where I was. The, the hair metal sort of pushed this, what I perceived as this punk band originally, off my radar. And then for various reasons, I just, 
I appreciated what they were doing, but I just never got on board with, with them during that, that heyday. Now, fast forward, like something stupid, 30 plus years, right? Right. I'm hanging out at my girlfriend's house. This is a month or two ago. Okay. Uh, she lets me set up my little office command center here in her dining room. And I got my notes. I got my laptop. And I'm, I'm ready to rock. And I, I had the iTunes up going. And I don't know what playlist it was. I only had four Maiden tunes. I think I had Run to the Hills, The Trooper, Flight of Icarus, and one of those other, you know, you know pop hits. No. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, one of those songs, if not all four, were in this little playlist that right. was going on. And she's around the house cleaning. She's got the, the duster and vacuuming and so on. The playlist is going and she hears these, you know, couple Iron Maiden classics. Now, my girlfriend is uh, she would have been uh, early 20s, uh, if not late teens during this this era. Right. She's a, a little bit younger than I am. Okay. And she was all about the cure, the talking heads. Mm -hmm. You know, that that whole of that sort of vibe. She loved, Gene loves Jezebel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So one thing that I know is that she had incredible disdain for arena rock and the hair bands, right? Right. So I got this playlist going, and somewhere in the mix, these couple of Iron Maiden classics pop up. She's walking around in her, you know, Daisy Dukes and vacuuming the house and so on. And she stops what she's doing, and she looks at me, and she goes, you know, Iron Maiden is the greatest metal band of all time. Hey. And I said, I said, wait a second. Are you, you're kidding, right? She goes, no, she goes, I love me some Iron Maiden. She goes, the old, she starts like a like a preacher dropping scripture. Really? All of a sudden she starts dropping metal metal factoids. She goes, Well, you know, I will say this the only band that could give Iron Maiden a run for their money would be Judas Priest. And it's like I didn't even realize she knew who these bands even were. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess a day or so later that popped up in the playlist, I started thinking about them again. And uh, they were playing in the house when she walked through the room. She goes, boy, I just can't tell you just how much I love Iron Maiden. Wow. So this kind of has me thinking about Maiden all of a sudden, right? Right. So I'm going back and I'm seeking out the couple of songs. I'm going back and I'm finding the Wikipedia page. Next thing I know, I'm doing the stupidest thing what's that i'm buying itunes cards buying iron maiden records nothing stupid about that my friend i'm gonna be 55 years old in this year in 2017 and here i am i'm buying iron maiden records good for you i'm obsessed <laughs> i'm at the point now brent jensen i am obsessed with iron maiden I've... even bubblegum stuff oh come on <laughs> there's no bubblegum stuff man what do you do what do you what do you think the bubblegum stuff is don't say number of the beast um, anything with bruce dickinson oh i do not agree now see you're taking that wrong you're taking that like it's an insult it is absolutely not in my world you know me they don't call me the pink chief for nothing okay <laughs> so that is by no means 
a, de a derogatory term in, 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 in my world. Right. I'm just saying that when you put power slave yeah. up against killers, right. that's two, in my view, that's two different bands. Really? Oh, yeah, I think so. And, and that's not challenging any musical credibility or anything like that at all, in all seriousness. I like to joke around a little bit, especially when it comes to the Iron Maidens. Yeah, of course. But in all seriousness, not busting on on musicianship or, or anything like that. I'm just saying that that Deano era is like the dark. And even if they're, I don't care what the lyrical content was, the mm -hmm. Bruce Dickinson version was to me lighter. I didn't feel like I was trapped in a basement shackled chained to a brick wall in a dungeon <laughs> or something like i felt listening to deano maiden you really? know i the dickinson maiden i feel like all right i'm hanging out at the beach with a hot blonde with an amazing rack we got a boom box playing and we're blasting some power slave the deano i'm sweating bullets and i'm chained to a brick wall in a dungeon and i'm praying for you know to be freed how about that well, first of all, I, I appreciate the perspective. And, you know, I've always said on the show that, that I love um, hearing other people's perspective and, and their interpretation of, of, you know, how music sounds and feels to them. So that's that's really interesting to me. Um, and this is particularly interesting to me because from my perspective, my entry point, uh, my maiden entry point was the number of the beast. And I was at a super impressionable age. I think I was 12 or 13 at that time when I first heard this stuff. And it was... I felt like I was in a dungeon chained to the wall, you know, listening to um, things like Invaders and and uh, Gangland and stuff song. like that. That's a great song, right? You know that when you when you hear Invader to this day, you know you get chills. Exactly. So and then so I was so taken and I went forward with you know peace of mind, power slave, and it just swept me up. And I thought nothing of going back because I loved Dickinson. And, you know, to go back to Iron Maiden and Killers, their first two records, the EP, I don't think is even available anymore, that live thing that they did with Deano in Japan. But um, I thought nothing of it until much later. And I went back and said, you know what, I'm going to pick these albums up. And I thought they were good. I mean, all the classics like Murders in the Rue Morgue and, and um, you know, the obvious ones. Running, running free, free, baby. Yeah. I'm running free. Exactly. Iron Maiden. I may be chained to a brick wall in a dungeon, but I'm running free. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, like really great songs, right? Yeah. But um, it wasn't the same because, I, you know, the, the, I think that the aesthetic was a lot different because the front man was completely different. Um, Paul Diano was a punk at heart. I think he had the, he kind of had the short cropped hair. He conducted himself like a, like a punk. He kind of had that punk ethos. And then a guy like Dickinson came in and I think that was Steve Harris looking and saying, you know what, we can really, we, if we make this change from punk ethos more to kind of classic metal ethos with the guy named Dickinson, who was from a band named Samson. I don't know if you've ever heard of, of Samson. Oh, sure. Great. I forgot about that though. I forgot that's where he came from. Yeah. Um, their second record is fantastic. And if you want to hear Dickinson, um, you know, kind of at his at his at his best, right before Number of the Beast, check out their second record. It's really really great. Grime, crime, fantastic song. Anyway, um, 
there was a huge difference there. And I was so, I think that because I was so influenced at a young age by, by my kind of, you know, um, the fact that I was mesmerized by Dickinson and his voice that I just, I, I had no time for Deano at all. And that hurts my heart. (laughs) Now keep in mind, just punched me in the heart. Jensen. (laughs) I apologize for that. Now, later on, I know what you mean, and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm trying to put myself in your position of the, the bubblegum interpretation, and I can see how, um, you know, there was little inklings of, um, I wouldn't call them bubblegum, but maybe mild commercialization in, in things like Quest for Fire. Bring your daughter to the slaughter? Well, that was later on, though, right? But that is Paul Stanley caliber cheese right there. That was a Dickinson penned song, by the way. He brought that into the yeah, band and wrote that himself. Sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so, so, so that Paul contributes Diano to Paul never would have written that. I'm just saying. <laughs> what would his version be? What would Paul Diano's version be? I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> but, it um, wouldn't have been pretty. No, I don't think. Well, I don't think bring your daughter to the slaughter is pretty. She would have never returned from the slaughter. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Um, What was I saying about? uh, Oh, oh, yeah. So, so peace of mind. um, You know, there are things like Quest for Fire, which I did not enjoy at all. Or, um, you know, the loneliness of the long distance runner for me was kind of the, you know head scratcher it kind of made a bit of a face when i saw that and heard that and thought you know maiden's turning into something else now but um you know number of the beast and peace of mind and power slave i think those three records for me are almost like the heavy metal version of of that stone's quintessential run where you had you know beggar's banquet let it bleed um sticky fingers right up through xl of main street that was their sweet spot and i think for maiden their sweet spot was number the beast through power slave well, let me ask you this then. Sure. Because, uh, uh, you know, I, I run with uh, some local musicians here in town that are, you know, old school metalheads. Yeah. And uh, e- even the most diehard mm-hmm. uh, Maiden fans kind of go, yeah, we love them and we'll go see them forever. But after Power Slave, it was over. Yeah. Yeah. Um with somewhere in time and i mean i i love it nostalgically it's a it's it's a good record in that sense but i think that you could see you know the sea change coming and i think that that was the first time that you could hear very slight traces of synthesizer um the songs were a little bit different wasted years was you know again i wouldn't say bubblegum but it was it was getting into you know there was an eye on on maybe something less than heavy metal i wouldn't say i wouldn't say pop but you know, it was getting a little bit more commercial. And that was just the... But, you know, I, I always try to see it from the band's perspective and all the the position that they're in and, and them looking forward and them getting all the advice from every you know conceivable angle and saying, what do we do, you know? And I think that there's, oh, there's to be a certain amount of empathy you, you there. Ride, you ride that wave or you get left behind. Yeah. And, think, know, and then when you go away for a while and you come back totally embraced in the in a nostalgia uh, burrito, then you can just ignore the embarrassing records and just focus on your your prime work. You know, yeah, nobody's gonna, you know, remember, you know, the Blaze Blajowski or whatever his name was, <laughs> X Factor. You know, nobody's gonna remember any of that anyway. Yeah, agree. 
No, it's true. As but... long as you're playing if playing stuff from Power Slave, Iron Maiden fans are very forgiving. Absolutely. It's true. As are, you know, Priest fans. I had this conversation with O'Malley the other day. You know, nostalgia is everything. And, and I think that with Maiden, that was probably their apex when they... Uh, you know, we're at the power slave point. The World Slavery Tour was massive. And they went on tour for something sure. like two years on the road. And uh, it was exciting to be uh, a part of that at that time. You know, I felt at that moment, I was, you know, 14 or 15. That music was for me. That was really exciting. I mean, Kiss, Kiss was kind of for me when I was a little kid, but not really. But this was the time when I was completely dialed into music because it was being written for me. I was the guy that they were trying to reach. And later on... Well, Kiss was floundering then. Iron Maiden was on point. They were thriving. Yeah. They were thriving. They were burning white hot. Exactly. Yeah. Iron Maiden was writing that that program. That's true. You know, and, it completely and Kiss was trying to follow. Well, I, th- I think after after Love Gun Kiss kind of lost their way, you know, and they kind of they almost imploded under their own weight. I would say just because Love Gun was really the last record that they wrote at their own accord, and and after yeah. that, it's like they just kind of they lost the script. And, and they... I think they did implode completely, but fortunately, there was a guy who knew CPR yeah. and was able to at least kind of revive them a little bit you know get them on the gurney and get them to the you know get them to the hospital yeah. you know till they could you know recover some years later yeah which reminds me of the greatest iron maiden reference i've ever heard in my life yeah and it's from you <laughs> you yourself and your <laughs> your your hit uh, your 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 blockbuster best-selling book, No Sleep Till Sudbury. Right. Even you, as the world's quintessential Iron Maiden fan, referenced going to see them live. I think during the Blaze Blajowski era. <laughs> Blaze Bailey. And yeah. how times had changed, and your heroes clearly, Superman's cape had been shredded you know uh and you referred to going to see them live and i'll never forget this you referred to going to see iron maiden live in the mid late 90s you enlightened that to going to see a friend in the hospital that was beautiful poetic loved it wish <sighs> i could steal that but it's such it's so attributed to you. I couldn't get away with stealing that. <laughs> Feel free, use it. But the, but but there that's... is stuff of yours that you've written that I have stealed, oh. stole, stolen. You know, <laughs> I don't want to say stolen. I just want to say that you have inspired my writing. Can I say that? Absolutely, and I appreciate your you saying lawyer that. can't. Your lawyer can't get on me for you being such an incredible writer that you've inspired. <laughs> I didn't steal anything. You inspired me, but I couldn't even be inspired by or steal uh, that one about Maiden in the in the hospital. So tell me about that. It, what year was this? What did that look like when you're going to see your all-time ultimate rock heroes, and it turns out to not be quite so much anymore? I think that was, and you're right. Blaze Bailey was the singer then. I think that was, uh, I want to say, like '98. 
and they were playing a place uh, called used to be called the Sky Dome, it's the Rogers Center now. But um, when you it's it's a stadium, it's a baseball stadium. So typically, when bands played there, they would play the entire stadium, which capacity is sixty thousand, you know, plus people. But Iron Maiden was playing there in in something that they called the Sky Tent, where they would divide up um, the the Sky Dome into little pieces because you know they, they weren't drawing sixty thousand people, of course, at that time. But um, the Sky Tent was particularly small during that time, and and it was almost it was kind of sad because you know I had seen on the World Slavery Shore. I think that was the first time I'd seen Maiden, uh, and, and it was it was larger than life for me. You know, so yeah. going in and, and seeing them um, with this new singer whose voice was cracking all over the place. And, and again, I, I felt bad for the guy, you know, because he had a lot on his shoulders. But it just it, it was seeing something at its its uh, most vulnerable point. And it, I just I kind of I felt like that. It was like when you when you, you know somebody um, and you, you go and see them in the hospital, um, everything is laid bare. You know, and it's a completely different experience, obviously. But that's how it felt to see Iron Maiden at that point. It was uh, it was sad. It was a little bit depressing for me. Um, what was the draw? Oh, geez, it was there was really there was no one there. There was a band called Dirty Deeds from the UK who opened. Uh, Dio. <laughs> that's a great band. Yeah. Or was a great band. Yeah. Uh, Dio was on the bill too, opening up for Maiden at that time um and it i there's there's really nobody there you know it was the diehards um nobody is that five thousand yeah i would say i would say less than five thousand in that area wow yeah i mean they were at their low point then keep in mind yeah, dickinson sure, wasn't around sure, adrian sure. smith was not in the band anymore it was dave murray oh, right. uh nico mcbrain and of course steve harris but you know they may as well have just played covers all night of of you know, God knows what. Iron Maiden at their nadir. Let me ask you this. Sure. Clyde Burr, Nico Clyde McBrain. Burr. I'd go Nico McBrain. That's right. Yeah. Let's say it again. I'd go Nico McBrain in a in a heartbeat. Very highly skilled drummer. And you know what? It, again, you the, the parallel is this. Clyde Burr wasn't that great. He was a good player. He was he was, he was a capable player. But See, now you're hurting me. <laughs> and for people who aren't in the know, so Clive Burr, I believe, was sacked uh, right after Number of the Beast and uh, right after Dickinson came in, and he was gone in time for peace of mind. So Nico McBrain came in from a band, a French band called Trust, and um, he joined just before peace of mind was recorded. He played on that record. That was his first one, but he was a magician still is. He's a fantastic. Where drummer. was he? Okay. Smarty pants in the front row. Where <laughs> was he before trust? I have no idea. Pat Travers. Come on. Nico McBrain played with Dude, Pat Travers. You gotta be kidding me, right? I, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. Honestly, I am so happy. I offered you a new factoid today. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Yeah, fun fact, he's even on videos. You go on YouTube, you can even see him on the videos. The first two, definitely the first two records, check the credits, Nico McBrain. I wonder wonder how many listeners would know that even. That's a uh, a very obscure, go ahead, that's crazy. Go on and have like this, he'd be playing I think like a a four-piece kit with a, a fedora and like a Hawaiian shirt or something really? as completely un 
Nico, as you wow. could imagine. This is 1976. Wow. 1976, 77. How old was he? Check it out, baby. I would not lie to Brent Tenson. No, I, I, I know you wouldn't. Well, that's incredible. And I had no idea. I, I, I worked with him once. Um, I was emceeing right about the time you saw them. Right. Eighty-four. Uh, in, in, in no, no, uh, ninety-eight. Oh, okay. When your 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 hospital <laughs> patient, <laughs> right about that time. Yeah. He was. Uh, he made an appearance at this uh, rock convention. Mm-hmm. That I was uh, hosting, emceeing, and uh, it was an all-star band. Uh, D. Snyder uh, sang. Uh, Rudy Sarzo was the um, was the bassist. Uh, Nico was the drummer. Um, good golly, and I can't remember who they had on guitar. So it was I want to say that they they had a big name like that, and yeah. then at the last minute they. The big name bailed, so they brought in like some C level guy, I think. But the the four big names on stage uh, was uh, was was Rudy, Nico, and and D Snyder. Nico, completely sweet guy. Yeah. Um, you know he he had some specific uh, drum uh, requirements. Yeah. And I think the kit lived up to some of those requirements didn't meet some of the other requirements <laughs> but he was he was very cool about things good i i don't remember him being anything other than positive and a pleasant professional nice guy good having said that i take clive burr in a heartbeat any day so tell me about that in, why why is that in the context of maiden because that era of Maiden that I leaned towards, that Deano era, that was a little more raw. Right. That was a little more um, lo-fi. Yeah. And and Clive Burr had just a little bit more of that street punk garage metal edge. Right. Uh, I don't know that he would get the credit as much as the producer. But the drums just sounded warmer. Mm-hmm. It was just a little bit more of that that lo-fi street edge. Stylistically, he played like he was from the street. Yeah. The 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 mix was very warm and worked with that Diano era style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was also so good that not only did he work beautifully in that piano era, you listen to the drum work that he did on Number of the Beast, and he segued, I think, quite nicely. You know, we only have seen Nico doing Nico, you know, that side of the Dickinson era. Right. You know, uh, Clyde Burr has done, did did both sides of that. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, I, well... You know, to that point, you've you've seen um, Nico play Burr's songs. I mean, you know, Number of the Beast and all the way back. But and and yeah. I think that he's he's a more technical drummer. He plays almost oh, no, with that's a, a whole different story. Yeah, I mean, uh, techno, techno, play, if if we had Clive with us still, if you put those two cats together, yeah. Nico would bury him clean as clock. Yeah, 
But that doesn't mean that Nico's work speaks to me the way that Clive's work did. I, I absolutely agree with you. How is that? Yeah, completely agree. And, um, you know, it's this, it's the Ace Frehley argument, right? Ace Frehley was not a great guitar player, but, you know, he just, he, he had a who certain... Else, who else is going to close the Kiss deal like Ace Frehley? Yeah. You know, but but to to put nico in the category with maiden as with some of the the factory guys that kiss hired to cover for ace is not fair exactly either yeah because nico you know uh, nico's an icon he's a badass monster icon well Uh, and and i don't want in any way for anything that i'm saying to sound anything less than uh praising of uh nico mcbrain one thing, one, one area I believe that, that Burr had the edge on McBrain was maybe the look. You know, he looked a little bit more metal. He had, no, he, had, he, he, looked like a, he looked like a metal guy. He had really cool hair, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but he, still, he, he looked little, he looked cute, he looked like a little metal guy, and your mom <laughs> would say, oh, Brent, why don't you invite your little friend Clive over for dinner? We're having porridge. <laughs> porridge. Now, at the same time, he'd be screwing your girlfriend behind your back because he was... That's a whole different story. It is. That's and a he's whole, not here to defend himself. It's so. a whole different podcast. It's a whole different podcast on a different network at a different time slot. That's right. With a different host and a different guest. <laughs> exactly. Complete. But other than that, it's exactly the same. Absolutely. So this has been uh, an interesting little spin that you've provided here. Yeah, and all I can say is Maiden is coming to Florida in June, and I'm there. Are you gonna go? Yeah, even if they play bubblegum oh, pop. Absolutely, it's gonna be it's gonna be me and my chick. It's gonna be our dream fantasy date. Ooh, now is is your current girlfriend the same girlfriend you were talking about earlier? Yes. Okay, so she's a huge Maiden fan. Diana. Okay. Yeah, I love her very much. Is, is she the woman that I met when I was in Florida with O'Malley? No, that was just a lunch friend. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. So you're a man about town then. You know I am. I they don't call me the pink chief for nothing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want to get into your personal affairs on this show. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Iron Maiden. I got nothing but squeaky clean personal affairs. All I know is me and my chick, who I love very much, we're going to see Iron Maiden. Good for you. What uh, what song does she want to hear the most at that show? I don't know. Should I ask her? Yeah. I I think that she's a run to the hills kind of chick. Yeah. The trooper. If maybe. I, if I was a betting man, I'd put at least three dollars on run to the hills. <laughs> All right. Is she there? She just walked in towards the end of this uh, spectacular interview. All right. So I'm going to say the trooper. Let's see what she, she says. She might be a trooper chick. That's a real fine line there, you know. Ask her. You really can't be faulted. Nobody could be faulted for going either way on that one. Yeah. Ask her. The Trooper or Run to the Hills? Darling, Run to the Hills. I got uh, it right. You were signaling her. She might have been by- No, she's in the kitchen fixing some delicious lunch, I think. <laughs> All right. I owe you $3. For though. some reason, she loves me, Brent Jensen. Why is that? I don't know but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rock the boat i'm just gonna be grateful for that don't ask don't tell yeah because she's she's the she's the prettiest and the funniest and the sweetest and the smartest girl in the whole world and for some reason despite all that she loves me wow 
How's that grab you? You just earned yourself a, a, a very large number of points there, I think. And she loves Iron Maiden. I like that about her. It's her. It's only be. It's her fault we're even having this conversation. That's why this podcast, this episode, went the way it did. Otherwise, we would have been talking about Loretta Lynn for the last hour. That's right. <laughs> well, good for her. I thank her for that. So Tell her I thank her for that. That's great. I will. I'll let her know that. Very good. All right. Got anything else to say? Tell, but... o, tell O'Malley I said hey next time you see him. I will. I definitely will. I he, love that uh, guy. I think that I, I saw um, an interaction between the two of you on Facebook where he made a comment. You actually put a picture of, of your five-year-old self or your 12-year-old self or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. On um, Facebook, and he remarked that uh, you looked strikingly like his, uh, like his young son, Beckett. And um, while I agree... There's uh, probably a joke in there somewhere. I'm not going to make it. I didn't it. want to touch on that. <laughs> I, I saw that opportunity. I saw that window, and, and I just I, I walked right yeah, past it. That's, that's a wise move. I don't want O'Malley mad at me. Have no, you seen don't. his guns? Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a large man, that's for sure. He'd kill me. He's a large He'd kill me. However, you guys do need to rent that DeLorean you were in last time I saw you and come on back down to Florida. We'll that's, go have fish again. That's not rented. That's his... That's his car. Now, it was a DeLorean, right? The doors went up sideways. No, it was like a, a spaceship. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a Mercedes. I don't remember the name of it. O'Malley's going to kill me. I don't, remember, I don't remember the name of it. But yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the doors did. I should have got that gig on Metal Shop. <laughs> if I had gotten that Metal Shop gig, I'd have a DeLorean too. That's right. That's right. That's Dog right. On it. <laughs> He's so much better looking than I am. I didn't stand a chance. You think so? Yeah, come on. <laughs> when you're me, you just got to face the facts. <laughs> All right. Me and O'Malley are just a damn good-looking man. I'm just going to throw that out there. Listen, you have, a, you have a girlfriend who likes Iron Maiden, so you can't complain. Yes, I do. So right. I, I, I don't want to hear any complaining from you. Tremendous value there. I'll take her over the DeLorean. Absolutely, you will. Absolutely. Yes. All right, dude. All right, this has been... No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very peculiar special guest, Mr. Chris Long. Thanks for listening. Yay. Until next time. Go run to the hills. <laughs> go and run to the hills with your girlfriend. All right, until next time. We'll see you. Ciao. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>